Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happen in history. Hi. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and that voice you just heard is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. So we are coming to the end of Black History Month. Oh. I know, sad times. But I have a pretty awesome woman to talk about to close out with. With which to close out... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I good speak I speak good. I speak good. Anyway, the woman I'm going to talk about this week is Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. 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 Yes. That's an interesting name. Where does that come from? I have absolutely no idea. Um to me it just sounds like a wrestler. Yeah? I could just see like Rebecca Crumpler. <laughs> And her final move would be the crumple. (laughs) Yes, the compactor. Oh, yeah, that's better. (laughs) Well, no. Uh, She was actually born Rebecca Davis. Okay. And she was born February 8th, 1831 in Delaware in America. Okay. Uh, But she didn't stay in Delaware very long because... I don't know what happened to her parents. Right. I don't know if she was just sent away or they died. I have no idea. But she was actually raised in Pennsylvania by her aunt. Okay. Now, her aunt was a very big influence on Rebecca's life uh, because her aunt would minister to sick and infirm neighbours. Okay. She was basically a really kind woman Mm. who was generally the first person that people would go to when they got sick. Right. And we're talking about black communities here. So underserved by various doctors, I'm assuming. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So inspired uh, by her aunt, she ended up moving to Massachusetts. Okay. To attend the West Newton English and Classical School. Or maybe not. Right. Because very early on in Rebecca Davis's life... There's a bit of confusion, or at least (laughs) I encountered a bit of confusion doing the research for this episode. Right. Because everywhere I looked, it said that Rebecca Davis, at around 1852, Mm -hmm. had attended the uh, West Newton English and Classical School. Okay. Slight problem. The West Newton English and Classical School didn't exist until 1854. Is this like that time with the Winter Olympics all over again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be. I I don't know. I From what I could gather, I think that before this was like a proper school, it was kind of a private school thing right. beforehand. Okay. So I don't know if it's just that it's kind of technically two separate institutions that share the same name. Is it going to be like... Do you remember when I talked briefly about cremation once? Yeah. And there was that crematorium that was founded on a particular year, but didn't actually do any cremations for like five years. Yeah. Like maybe the school kind of existed, but wasn't an official school yet or something. Well, I don't know because I know that the the place, I I think it does still exist. Right. Um, I think the actual area of land was not purchased and um, bu- uh, built on until 1854. Right. But the school could have moved there. I could well have done. I right. don't know for certain. Okay. Um, but the notable thing about this school is that it was set up by a white man called Nathaniel Topliff Allen. Wow. And he was an advocate for women's suffrage as well as being an abolitionist. Okay. Classes in this school were all racially integrated. 
Oh, wow. I was expecting this to be one of those, like, good works projects where it's, like, for black women only. That's what I thought as well. But, no, they were racially integrated and co-educational. Amazing. So all classes would be attended by people of different races and different sexes. Wow. So it seems like it was just this really good thing set up by a pretty top-notch guy who was just like, everyone should have access to a good education. Wow, stay woke, Nathaniel. I know, right? (laughs) So by 1852, Rebecca had moved to Charlestown, Massachusetts and started work as a nurse for various different doctors. And she stayed in that job over the course of eight years. Right. Now, this is actually quite interesting because she'd come out of this education at this point, but hadn't actually had any formal training as a nurse. Oh. Because there was no formal training for nurses until 1873 in America. I'm not sure if that surprises me too much. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've talked about the Crimean War before. Yeah. And I don't think there was much formal training for nurses in in England before Florence Nightingale. And that must have been in the 18... 30s, maybe? Something like that. I I, I can't remember. I'm very bad on dates. (laughs) But you're a historian. How dare (laughs) you? I'm a medieval historian. (laughs) Because I don't care about dates, and neither did they. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is part of a time where I think, you know, we're kind of progressing into the modern day. Mm. America's growing. Everything's a little bit a little bit jumbled up. Yeah. Which sure. may well be why this school existed before it did. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> it's all a bit mysterious. Okay. It was uh, during this time uh, that she married her first husband, Wyatt Lee, nice. who was a former slave, and they got married on April 19th, 1852. Okay. Uh, Wyatt did actually have a son from his first marriage, but unfortunately he died a year later at age seven. Oh, and there's some speculation that this might, like, the fact that the boy was sickly might have been part of the inspiration for Rebecca to go into nursing. Oh, I see. Like, she'd seen her aunt helping people, yeah. and then she'd had first-hand experience of looking after an ill family member. So she's like, I'm going to help people. Right. See, I was imagining it the other way around. I was imagining that she, as a nurse, met this guy with a sickly son, and Ah. that might have been part of the attraction towards him. But maybe I'm a bit romantic that way. I mean, it could be. Either way, um, I think there's not much solid information there, so we can argue it any way we want. We could, in fact, say that what happened was that the boy was an eldritch horror from the deep beyond. (laughs) They are in Massachusetts. Exactly, yeah. So she decided to take up nursing to make sure that no one would, you know, get infected by this eldritch abomination again. Absolutely. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Well, due to her obvious talent and skill... Rebecca received recommendations from the various doctors she'd worked with to become mm-hmm. the recipient of the Wade Scholarship. Okay. Which was a fund set up by an Ohio abolitionist, Benjamin John Wade. Okay. A lot of abolitionists getting involved at this yeah. point. Yeah. Well, at this point, we are looking just pre-Civil War. Yeah. And then sort of tipping over into it. So I think there were a lot of people who were, you know getting very active in the abolition movement. I guess it's just quite interesting to me because obviously I understood abolitionists to be people who wanted to get rid of slavery. Yeah. But I had never thought about, like I never heard about instances of them sort of trying to empower black people beyond that. Yeah, I think there were 
there were definitely different schools of thought or mm. diff- different movements within the abolition movement. And some people were just like, we're going to get rid of slavery. That's our main goal. And then yeah. there were other people like, hang on, that doesn't, you know, solve racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's a good step. Don't yeah. get me wrong. We shouldn't be owning other people as property. Yeah. But what's going to happen afterwards? Mm. Well, Rebecca, at this point, Rebecca Lee, received this scholarship in 1860 and this allowed her to attend the new england female medical college nice which had been set up by samuel gregory who was an advocate for women's education in 1848 there's a lot of good allies in this story i know it's great it's great this story be woke as hell (laughs) (laughs) nigel farage is somewhere fuming at it uh This was uh, the New England Female Medical College was actually the first institution in America to offer MDs to women. Wow. And Rebecca was the first and in fact only black woman to receive an education at the school. Oh, wow. This is because the school became incorporated into the Boston University School of Medicine in 1874. Right, okay. So... There wasn't really an opportunity for anybody else afterwards. But it's it's still one of those things where it's like she is the single black woman who went into this institution (laughs) so uh the new england female medical college mostly dealt with obstetrics and childcare. makes sense it does make sense it was there were still a lot of people who were kind of like women's sensitivities won't allow them to you know get involved in the grisly parts of medicine so (laughs) they can like isn't obstetrics oh no no not at all that's perfectly nice and clean and nothing ever goes wrong yeah um but yeah, you know, that that's all woman's stuff. So they're used to that. They, yeah. they don't have to get involved in the other stuff. And it also frees up the male doctors to, you know, take care of serious <laughs> medical... Compl- this was genuinely part of the idea behind, like, why this got approval. Okay, great. Basically, I mean, to free yeah. up the men. Fantastic. <laughs> know, Good. Right. Because they can't be asked with bringing life into the world. Or no, anything. I know. I know. Uh, Just a little side note, in 1860, there were 54,543 practicing doctors in America. Okay. Of this number, 270 were women. Okay. 180 were black men. Yeah. And there were no black women. Wow. So I imagine that must have really impacted, say, the black female population Mm. especially if you've got people going around being like well we can't work with people of color or well we can't work with women because of whatever reason exactly so just to be a little spoiler dr rebecca lee crumpler is so sort of famous in history i guess because she will be the first black woman to receive a doctor of medicine title in america It's an impressive step. It is an amazing step. There was, of course, some pushback to her being accepted. Of course. But she actually had a great advantage because of the Civil War. (laughs) Really? Because the Civil War meant there was a huge need for doctors, nurses and other medical professionals. Oh, of course. So I think that they were basically like, this woman is really intelligent. She's got a lot of training as a nurse. Mm. A lot of white men are recommending her. Yeah, we might as well let her have a go. Yeah. See see how she does before her womanly brain coincides <laughs> with her black brain. I don't know. I you don't know. know. I mean, I guess the thing is that all of the men doctors are off dealing with all of yeah. those screaming patients. So they're like, I guess someone needs to 
deal with these women in childbirth. Who famously don't scream. Well, the problem (laughs) is I'm just imagining too much the bit in Gone with the Wind when, is it Melly starts giving birth during the time when all of the men are dying and they're invading Atlanta. And all of the doctors and the doctor is just like look i don't have time for this <laughs> like a woman in childbirth no one gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> well i mean this all went to rebecca lee's advantage yeah unfortunately a disadvantage was that her studies were postponed for several months when her husband became ill and actually died of tuberculosis oh, on april 18th 1863 so a day before their 11th anniversary oh And this is, I mean, obviously that is a a dreadful thing. And some people in the college did not react well to it. They basically said, why is she so late handing in her coursework? (laughs) Wow. Rude. Yeah. Fortunately, there were enough board members who were, you know, sensible and were like... Her husband just died of TB. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, you feel like a cursory examination of this woman's life would suggest that she's got something to deal with right now. She's got some extenuating circumstances Exactly, exactly. So despite those slightly odd people, on March 1st, 1864, she graduated, was named a Doctor of Medicine, becoming, as I said, the first black woman in the country to do so. She then moved to Boston, where she opened her own practice in a black neighborhood. Uh, she helped women and children, mm-hmm. and also just the poor around her, anyone who needed health care. And she didn't ask for payment for those who, you know, couldn't pay. Wow. Yeah. She did remarry. Uh, she remarried uh, Arthur Crumpler. Oh, which, hence the name. Hence the name. Okay. Uh, on the 24th of May, 1865. So then she became Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Right. Arthur Crumpler was uh, like her first husband. He was a former slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd been part of a very large family before the landowner on the land that they were living and working. Yeah. You know, slave-wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he died and the rest of the family began selling off Arthur Crumpler's siblings. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Arthur, he was familiar with the land. He liked that staying around that area. So the story goes that he went up to John Adams, not that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but the the eldest son of the guy who died. Yeah. And basically said, this is at nine years old, said, I want to stay here. Can I stay here if I beat you in a wrestling match? What? And this is a nine-year-old boy up against a full-grown man. Yeah. And John Adams was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And Arthur Crumpler beat him handily. Oh, my God. (laughs) So he got to stay. I don't know how true that story is. Other versions I read were much more grim. Okay. Where it was like John Adams wanted Arthur Crumpler to stay. And they're like, he and some other white people basically organized and bet on a match between him and someone else. Oh, God. I, I didn't find many sources saying that, so I, I'm I'm going to choose to believe the slightly nicer story, even though it does still involve slavery. Yeah, and I think one of the things is, for some for whatever reason, and I think it comes about whenever there's like a slight resurgence in racism, you yeah. always get those people who are like weird slavery apologists. Yeah. Like, oh, but they were looked after by whomever and whoever. And I feel like this story is one of those like perfect examples of how that 
is a fallacy because yeah. even if you have like one of the good slave owners, and I say that in inverted commas, obviously, yeah. um, their children might decide to sell off all of your yeah. siblings. Like, there's no such thing as being like there's no such thing as ethical slavery. No, absolutely not. And it's very clear that even if Arthur Crumpler was, you know content with his position he wasn't happy yeah because the beginning of the civil war led to a period of chaos that allowed him and many other slaves to escape oh awesome so yeah i mean you wouldn't escape from a place that you're genuinely happy no no oh yeah uh, just a quick note on his family because i i think I think he was... I can't remember how many. I think he had like 10 siblings. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is after... um, Spoiler alert. He outlived his wife. Yeah. And he went on to try and find what had happened to his various siblings. Right. He only ever managed to get a letter from a sister. Oh, God. And that was the extent that he was able to trace his family after they'd been sold off. Yeah. It's so horrible. It must be so difficult to find people. Yeah. Like, especially back in those days, but also when people will presumably have had their names changed. Exactly, yeah. And all yeah. kinds of things will have happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, the Civil War provided him a great opportunity to escape And uh, he joined up with the Union Army, uh, serving as a blacksmith, before he was actually taken in by Nathaniel Tiploff Allen. He of the school. Okay. And uh, Nathaniel basically looked after him, made sure that he was cared for and that he got a job. Mm -hmm. So he actually worked in the school as a porter. I don't know exactly where he was. I think he was doing porter jobs around various different places. And obviously he met Rebecca somewhere and they ended up getting married. And in 1865, shortly after the end of the Civil War, the family moved to Virginia. Okay. And Rebecca began working with the Freedmen's Bureau. Okay. And they were a society that provided health care to freed slaves. Right. Because many of these slaves would have been denied health care by white doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So they were basically making sure that people who, you know, will have been mistreated their entire lives... Yeah are looked after it's that whole thing as we said about sort of different camps of abolitionists because there were there were definitely some people who were just like we got rid of slavery that's That's we're we're done our job here is done but obviously there's a huge fallout you have to deal with yeah and just thinking about like again the idea of being somebody who is enslaved and wouldn't have had so wouldn't have had any kind of medical help presumably except for like friends yeah for so long people like rebecca's aunt and i mean rebecca herself as well but yeah god and then after all of that you would definitely need somebody at least to come and look at your teeth i'd imagine (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah uh incidentally i don't know why this isn't really an episode yet but when i was uh having a think about possible subjects for this podcast i did find an absolutely gross story about um one of the early sort of settlers of america was a black man brought from africa yeah and he kind of taught people about inoculations and vaccinations oh wow whereby apparently it was a custom among his people that you if you don't want to hear this because it is gross then (laughs) just just mute for about 30 seconds or so they would take 
infected pus from wounds and right. put them on needles and like inject people with them. That's so clever. Yeah. Like, when, why would you think of that? I know. I know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry. It was just because we were thinking about healthcare for people and yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I wanted to gross out our listeners for a little bit. Fair play. <laughs> Well, of course, as we said, the ending of slavery did not solve all the problems uh, of race in America. There were still huge amounts of racism. And despite the fact that Rebecca was a doctor, she struggled with severe problems with racism and sexism as well. Mm. Hospitals refused to accept patients that she referred to them. What? Jesus. Some pharmacies refused to fill prescriptions if her name was attached to it. Great. And apparently a hilarious joke was that the MD after her name stood for mule driver. Right. I know, right? I mean, racism is, I mean... Racist jokes are so, like, generally so dull. It's so lazy. It's like getting the kitchen jokes for women. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Now, interestingly, from all accounts, Rebecca never let this get to her at all. I think that she was, to be honest, I think she was so busy that I don't think she had time to like... Think about it? Yeah. Well, understandable. If she's giving out free healthcare to the poor in her area, that must yeah. mean that she's absolutely swamped. Absolutely. And I think that is what happened because I don't, I couldn't really find anything of her talking. Like there were, there were bits because obviously, you know, she's aware of race relations i mean that's yeah. why she went to virginia and joined up with the freedmen's bureau she's met two free slaves yeah exactly so who married. married yeah so but I, I don't we don't have i don't think we have particular accounts of these sorts of things from her beyond her just sort of objectively saying them yeah so she worked solidly in virginia until 1869 and then she and her husband moved back to Boston to continue to provide health care for the black communities living there. Again, in many cases, without asking for any payments. Yeah. They did actually then have a daughter together in 1870. But after that, we have basically no record of her, which suggests that she died in infancy. Yeah. Uh, later on, when they moved in 1880 to the Hyde Park area of Boston... It's recorded that it was just the two of them. Oh, that definitely sounds like she didn't make it then. Yeah, absolutely. It was also at this point in 1880 uh, when they moved that Rebecca actually stopped practicing medicine. Oh. I think that she just, you know, become so exhausted. Yeah. How old was she at this point? Uh, She was not that old at all. She was born 1821, so she would only have been... Well, she would have been 59. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine having burned out by that point. Absolutely. Uh, she didn't give up work entirely, though. She did still teach, mm. and she would sometimes give lectures at uh, the West Newton English and Classical School. Oh, awesome. Where her husband still also worked as a porter. Um, and she also, in 1883, produced the first medical text by a black person. Wow. So not just a black woman, but a black person at all. And this was a book of medical discourses in two parts. The book primarily dealt with pregnancy, mm-hmm. childbirth, and help with infancy, such as nursing and teething. And it was considered the essential work on such matters for decades to come. Wow. I have read some criticism of it where she seems a bit into homeopathy. 
Okay. Um, but I think there's enough good stuff in there that kind of weighs it out. <laughs> yeah. I think it was also an opportunity for her to talk about her experiences because apparently it's part medical text, part autobiography. All right. <laughs> and her sort of considerations on social and moral issues. Yeah, that's fascinating. That takes me back to my um, medieval ladies I like to talk about who have religious experiences yes. and then use that as an opportunity to create the first autobiography written yeah. in English, for example, like Marjorie Kemp. Yeah. Like, maybe this is her point where she gets to go, I'm going to write this. There's a purpose for this. There's a reason people will buy it. And also they'll read about my story. And there's also more of a link there because uh, Rebecca Lee Crumpler was very religious and oh. very active in her local religious community. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe twin souls across time. <laughs> I don't think we can accuse Rebecca Crumpler of being a twin soul with Marjorie Kemp. No. We know Marjorie was up to no good most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Arthur Crumpler, he wanted to improve his own learning. Yeah. I imagine you've got to, like, his wife is so amazing. Yeah. That you've got to feel a little bit inferior I, I was just feeling impressed a moment ago by the fact that they had such a interesting disparity mm. in a relationship in the Victorian period. Like, yeah. That must have actually been very difficult for him. Well, possibly, but by all accounts, they were a continually happily married couple. Mm. Like, they had a really solid, good marriage. Nice. So I imagine that there probably was some societal impact. But to be honest, I mean, being a black couple, probably... <laughs> Probably yeah, you've already out- got an issue. Yeah, you've already got problems in society treating you awfully. Yeah. I don't think the fact that your status is a little bit confusing <laughs> is really going to change things that much. Mm. But I think it was more on a personal level that he wanted to improve his own learning. He wanted. Yeah. He was like inspired by his wife. And she encouraged him to sign up for night classes. But unfortunately, Arthur was still illiterate. Oh, yeah. So uh, Rebecca would end up reading to him and write for him in order to help him out. Mm. But it seems like the fact that he was illiterate was a real embarrassment for him. Yeah. And he didn't really continue with the night classes early on. Oh, that's such a shame. It is, yeah. Well, Rebecca Lee Crumpler died on March 9th, 1895, at the age of 64, of fibroid tumours. Okay. I don't know what those are. All right. But it just... Sounds a bit grim. It doesn't sound great. No. no. But her husband, who was still inspired by her and her achievements, he redoubled his efforts to learn. And in fact, because of this, he went back to classes and decided to learn to read and write. Okay. And it ended up an article was written about him and published in, uh, I don't think it was national, but I think it was a, a widespreading newspaper. Mm-hmm which described him as the city's oldest student at age 74. Oh, that's so nice. I know. He then went on to try and, as I've said, like look into his own family and what happened to them. But he didn't really have much success. He's a pretty interesting person in his own right. And I'd be tempted to see if there's some more information that maybe not a whole episode, maybe a little episode at, just to tell a bit more about him. I think the only problem with looking into Arthur Crumpler is that some of the stories seem a little bit fantastical. Yeah, okay. So I don't know. There's one major source I found which talk about his life. Yeah. uh, Because obviously the focus is more on his wife. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
So I don't know. Maybe, maybe mm. we'll we'll see in future. Is it one of those situations where a lot of the stories from him being enslaved are stories that he himself told? I, I think so, yeah. I would definitely want to make up some batty stories yeah. if I was in that position. I'd be like, no one can prove that I didn't wrestle <laughs> a full-grown man at age nine. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, he continued to live for another 15 years. Um, pretty decent t- uh, age. He died in 1910 and he was buried side by side next to his wife. Aww. But they didn't actually have a proper headstone until 2020. Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow. Because uh, Dr. Crumpler's achievements have only relatively recently been fully recognised. Uh, in 1989, the Rebecca Lee Society was founded, which aims to support black women entering into medicine. Yeah. And it was 2019 that a fundraiser began to provide the couple with proper headstones. Wow. They then obviously received those in 2020. Yeah. So I still... Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> baffling how long some of these things take, how, how long it takes for people to be recognised for their ability. Mm. Um, one other nice thing though that happened as a result of this because this fundraiser got a lot more attention to uh, Dr. Crumpler's work the governor of Virginia declared March 30th which is National Doctors Day in America to be Rebecca Lee Crumpler Day oh that's nice but also a really silly name for a day it is a really silly name for a day and it's a bit of a silly name in general I still cannot help but see her as a wrestler (laughs) I don't see it, but I think it's a really cute name. Yeah. I mean, it's also um, one little other interesting thing. Every single article I read had the same sort of like postscript to it. Right. Which is that we have no photographs of Dr. Crumpler. That's not 100% surprising. No, it, it wasn't surprising to me either. But the thing is, so many of these articles come with a photograph of a black woman. Right. And I don't think in any of them they actually say, this is Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. It's just sort of put in the article. And so if you do a Google image search, you find lots of pictures of this black woman. Is it the same woman in all of the articles? In a lot of them it is. In another one, it does look like it might be the same woman, but older. Okay. And yet, despite this, in all these articles (laughs) at the end, they keep saying, no photographs exist. I like going... Well, who's that? What random woman have you put into this article? (laughs) A Victorian looking lady? I don't know. It's so confusing. That's fascinating. What if she herself is haunting her own articles? Like, what if that is a photo of her and her ghost has put them there? (laughs) No photographs exist, but on Halloween night, (laughs) it is said that the image of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler will appear above internet articles about (laughs) (laughs) so happy halloween everyone (laughs) and thank you for listening to that time when you can follow us on twitter at that time when four and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com if you'd like to support us at the moment the best thing you can do for us is to leave a review or a rating on your app of choice And thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's put in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and be a really woke Victorian abolitionist. (laughs) (laughs) Underschool! Yay! Yay. (laughs) 